Start at 9.26 through 31. Nine twenty six through thirty one. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, and he brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly in Damascus. In the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. We have one lost uh, song, O Church, Arise. That is our prayer today, is that North Valley Bible Church, we would realize that we're living in a time of peace. May we be edified and may we be growing Sheila, I know they're traveling. Keep them safe on the road. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. Um, I pray that you just bless our time in your word in uh, this verse, uh, Acts 9.31. Bless your people today. Father, um, help me as I proclaim your word to glorify you. Keep me from saying anything I should not say. May you be pleased with what is proclaimed and our response to it. In Jesus' name, for his glory, amen. Consistent growth is the title of this message um, or the character of a healthy church. I don't know. It's one of those messages that feels like the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. I don't know if you remember the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. They could never decide on a title. They would come up with one and then name another. This message was like that. <laughs> Consistent growth or the character of a healthy church. Acts 9.31 So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. 
Now, I read that too fast for me to soak it in. I hope I didn't read it too fast for you to soak it in. But what a marvelous verse. What a wonderful verse of Scripture. The church, corporate, <laughs> the church as a whole enjoyed a time of peace and was being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it continued to increase. It doesn't get much better than that. The drama has died down. The church goes from a time of persecution to a time of peace. It was just the beginning of Acts 9, verse 1. Now Saul, still breeding out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, high priest, that he might haul some off to Jerusalem. Am I okay back there, Josh? Okay. But what a change. And this is a text that is fitting to address some of the circumstances we see around us even today. Or maybe more appropriately, our responses to the circumstances that we see around us today. Our responses to the circumstances around us today could be in three ways, right? Our intellectual response. What do we think about the circumstances we see around us? What do we think about that? And our emotional response. Am I still going there, Josh? Our emotional response is, how do we feel about the circumstances that we see around us? And then maybe our active response is, what are we to do about them? What are we to do about them? The record in the book of Acts is the record of the progress of the church. And this verse before us, verse 31, is one of seven progress reports given about the church in the book of Acts. That's not original with me. I thought it was another one of those progress reports and looked in Warren Rearsby's commentary. He says this is one of seven, and I looked at each one of those seven, and we're going to look at them as well this morning, but they're wonderful to look at. But this is one of those progress reports, how the church is progressing. It was growing through persecution, and in this verse we see that it's growing in a time of peace as well. It didn't stop growing because peace came. We know about progress reports. If you're a student in high school or junior high, you know about progress reports, right? Or if you've been an employee, you might get a performance evaluation. But you get them from the report. They give us how you're doing, how you're progressing. You might get a check mark. Or I can remember in uh, kindergarten, or maybe it was first grade, getting a gold star. Everybody wanted a gold star, right? Progress reports are like that and... Luke provides a progress report with regard to how the church is progressing. But if the church today were to receive a progress report, that's the question that came to my mind. If the church today was to receive a progress report, what would Luke What would Luke write? It's easy to be critical of the church. We may see plenty of ammunition just laying around to do that with, right? To be critical. But you know the saying, if you find the perfect church, whatever you do, don't join it. Because you'll ruin its perfection. If someone was to find the perfect church, if I found the perfect church, I better not join it. I'd mess it up, right? There's no such thing as a perfect church is the point. It's easy to be critical of the church. But a progress report, and looking at these progress reports, 
kind of help gauge where the church is at as a whole and maybe us as an individual church as well. So we're going to do that. There's a lot of calls today. I'm hearing them on the news. I'm hearing them from pulpits. I'm hearing them from different places. And it goes something like this. With regard to the situations we find ourselves in with COVID and and rioting and looting and things like that, I hear people saying things like this, where is the church? Where are the pastors? Now, that's kind of an understandable sentiment. It's something maybe to think about. And we're going to touch on that a little bit as well. But, you know, there are these dramatic events. There was, there was dramatic events happening back here in Acts, chapters 8 and 9. Persecution broke out against the church, and there's dramatic events being reported in our news today, in our world today. And they're discussed on discussed, <laughs> discussed on social media platforms. I'm not on social media. You guys know that. But I view that from time to time, and I see what people have posted from time to time. These things are discussed, and people debate, and they say things, and lots of conversation about these things, and it touches the church. And questions like this, what in the world is going on these days? What is going on? Just this last week, I saw that there was a church in somewhere in New York that was disrupted by a violent mob. People were trying to get into the building, and there were people out there cussing while children were walking by. It was not a pleasant thing to watch. It was awful. Well, what were we to think about that? How do we process all of that? And what about those emotions we have that come attached to those things? Anger. Maybe some righteous anger, but anger for sure can well up. Fear. Fear. What if it happened here? Fear. Those are emotions people have about these things with the coronavirus and these other things that we see going on. Confusion. Confusion. Why? Why is all this going on? And why now? And frustration. Because there's really nothing we can do. We just sit and watch these things unfold. And so there's some frustration. There are emotions and maybe some other emotions we have. Maybe a mix of those emotions. What are we to do? What can we do? What actions should we take? I hope this message helps. I'm praying and have been praying, have prayed that it does help with regard to that thought. What are we to do with what we see going on in the world today? Cindy, she's not sitting there, but she's planted a small garden. Um, she has planted in the past some very large gardens when the kids were younger. Uh, she's got a green thumb. It doesn't matter what she sticks in the dirt. Poop, it comes up and something comes out of there. But here in Utah, we've been really surprised by how how well things grow. This is not a climate like Michigan. She has this little pot garden. Not pot. <laughs> all, the, all the vegetables are planted in pots. <laughs> Whoops. <clears throat> all the vegetables are planted in pots, and they, they've come up. Brussels sprouts have come up. The green beans have come up. And those green beans are growing so fast. I mean, when we go home this afternoon, we looked at them this morning. They were taller than they were last night, and you can see that with green beans sometimes, but we've never seen anything like this. The, the climate is, the conditions are just right for growth in Utah. It is astonishing what it is like here. The, the warmth and the constant watering, we got this sprinkler system. She's got it set up where the sprinklers just spray on them. We don't have to do anything. Didn't have to irrigate anything, thankfully. 
Um, but it's it's kind of neat. It's not a very big garden, but it, it's it's prolific. It's growing. Hey, I want to submit to you this morning that even in these times, or especially in these times, that there is a need for Christian growth. I want to submit that to you this morning. There's a need for Christian growth, especially in the times we're living in today. There's a need in my life for me to be growing in the Lord. I recognize it in me. I recognize it in others. There's a need for Christian growth, not only in these times, but especially in these times. What can we do? We can be, we can be growing. But what are the essential elements for growth? That's a question that come, might come to mind. How does that happen? Uh, I was a farmer. You guys know that. I was a dairy farmer. I was a terrible crop farmer. I, can't, I don't have a green thumb. I'm the opposite of that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm an okay animal farmer, but I'm not a good crop farmer. But there is this thing you have to understand when you're planting asparagus, it needs a certain kind of pH for the soil. And if you're planting tomatoes, they need another kind of pH. Now, I don't know what those pHs are. And I'd goof it all up if I tried to know. So apparently, Cindy doesn't even have to know. Whatever she sticks in the ground, it grows. But there's the, the, the healthy kind of soil, the pH balance that's best, the balance that is best for growth vegetables to grow there's a balance there there's the same thing in the christian life what is the best balance for growth and that's what we're going to be looking at some essentials for consistent growth and there's there's a need for a renewed consistency in the church that that would promote that kind of growth hebrews 5 14 says this but solid food is for the mature who by practice or who by or because of practice or who by constant use or consistent use have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Solid food is for the mature. Um, studying the Word of God and, and, and getting deeper into the Word of God, it's for the mature so that we can discern good and evil. We can understand how to, how to live out our Christian life. Now, we're learning all kinds of things about that in the Sunday school class that we've been going through. We've been really enjoying that. And we can continue to grow in those things. But there are some essentials for of consistent growth or essentials for consistent growth that we see in this one verse today. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit to continue to increase. In Sunday evening, uh, we've resumed our study of the Psalms. I got all these notes and all these thoughts. Let me narrow this down a little bit. There's a need for consistency. And I've been more and more aware of this need for consistency as of late. We're going through the Psalms in evening service, and it's intended to be family-oriented. We might have to rethink that a little bit, but um, of how that's going to how that's going to work out. But in the last few Sundays in the Psalms, it has become very obvious that we are right where we're supposed to be in those Psalms for this body of believers right here and now, and. For those of us that have attended that, there's been this blessing. For those of you guys that have missed it, I want to tell you, you've missed it. This last Sunday evening, Soren was up to bat, and he came with Psalm 58, and just a few of the things that he drew out of that psalm, and he didn't implant it into the psalm, but he drew it out of the psalm, was so relative to today. And I want to share a few of them with you. I was writing them down, Soren, as you were teaching, and here was, here was one of them. Lies are not 
harmless. How relative is that to your world today? Lies are not harmless. Here's another one. A corrupt nature is evident in people's words. How obvious is that too? Hey, A corrupt nature is evident in the words people speak. A couple more. When David was experiencing the injustice of unrighteous judges, and he was, he brought his case before God. How relevant is that in our world today? David brought his case before the holy, righteous judge of the universe. And why would he bring his case before anyone else? Or before, as Soren put it, or before someone who had no power. Why would he do that? And he doesn't. He goes before God with his case and he says, Lord, here it is. How relevant is that to our world today? Look, there's some essentials for consistent growth in the church. And one of them is a renewed consistency in the church. A renewed understanding of the importance of the church as God designed it. God designed the church. Dan didn't. Patrick didn't. Soren didn't. Ron didn't. Wadith didn't. Rob, Robin didn't. I can name all of us, right? We didn't design the church. God designed it in a certain way. And I see the church being used of God. But not everyone is availing of themselves of that. We're just not doing that. We've, we've kind of chosen other, other methods and other things. Here's one more thing we noted on Sunday evening. The fact that even though it might not seem like it, David knew that there was a moral order. What a blessing just to soak that in. Here, way back, David is writing Psalm 58, and we were blessed, just I was blessed anyhow. Shouldn't put everyone else in that bucket, but I'm pretty sure that we were all blessed just to think about the fact that even when things seem like there is no moral order in the universe right now, everything is chaos, that there is a moral order, that God is still on his throne. David was convinced of that. That came out of this Psalm 58. I'm talking about essentials for uh, consistent growth in the church or the character of a healthy church. And one of those things is just availing yourself of the activities of the church, of the local church. I know there's, there's, there's a big push to just let's try something new and let's do this and let's do that. And there's times to do some of that. This next Sunday night, we're going to have a wonderful time. I'm looking forward to that. I'm not knocking that thing at all. I'm saying that's fantastic. But I'm saying let's not eliminate that, the, the normal function of church life. Let's not abandon that, thinking we're going to come up with something better. I don't think we can. This, this is conducive to growth and to stability. You know, my heart was angry and frustrated about the things I see on the news. How can, how can people in an angry mob holler profanities in front of children and thinking they're doing something righteous. Of course, we know they're not, right? But that's where my emotions got to. And the week before, there was something else. But come into this place, and here, here Soren is tasked with, I'm going to teach Psalm 58 tonight. And, and out of that flows what? A blessing to my soul. It, it, it provides stability. It recenters me. And, and the same thing is true for, for all of us. For all of us. Of course, we know that. We know that. We do. That's why we're, we're here this morning. But I want to encourage us in that. And not just, not just this 
this last Sunday, but in the previous week's study through the Psalms as, as well. They have reconfirmed the role of the church as designed and established by God, the importance of the church when it comes to the real spiritual growth of the people of God. And there are distractions that are attempting to sideline the church. We'll just put the church on the side. We've got a new design. We've come up with something new. The church is going to be set aside and we're going to march forward with this. I don't think real spiritual growth happens there. I think something else happens there. We can't replace the church. We can't reformat the church. When we try that, we stunt the growth of the people of God or distort or contort the growth. Cindy's got them um, pole beans and she asked me to hang up a lattice so those beans could climb up that pole. Now if that lattice wasn't there, they're just going to flop over and die and those bush beans are going to take off, right? And that's the only thing that's going to survive. But that, that's meant to train those beans to go up that thing so you have some fruit come out of there, right? You, you can't make a pole bean a bush bean and you can't make a bush bean a pole bean. That's my point. And whatever the church is, it is what God intended. So I want to examine some... This, this was all prior to the message from this text. Okay, This was a little longer than usual, but this is kind of what I'm driving at this morning. I want to examine some essentials for growth. And we know that it is God who gives the increase. It God, it's God who causes the growth. When Cindy puts that bean in the ground, it's not her magic finger. All the life that bean needs is already in that bean. It gets in the right soil. It gets the right water. And poof, it comes up. God gives the growth. We know that but there are certain conditions that are that God uses that are conducive to growth. And that's what we see in this verse. So, my first point. There is constant change, but there should be constant growth as well. In other words, growth should not be negatively impacted by external circumstances. There is constant change in our world. A change has come. So the church throughout all Judea, this, this marks a change. Or then had the churches rest throughout all Judea. A change has come. The only thing that's constant is change. Right? It's the only thing that's constant. People like to say, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. That's true here in Utah and it's more true in other places. There was a state I got interested in looking at. Um, you could Google this. I don't remember what state it was. It surprised me. It was like Nebraska or Oklahoma or someplace like that. The weather changes in a certain region in this state more than any place in, might be any place in the world. The, the, the temperature swing is so dramatic at times. People have died. They've left their house on a beautiful sunny day wearing a, wearing a t-shirt, maybe a flannel, and froze to death. I forget where that place is at. But there's some really interesting facts with regard to that. But change is constant. That's my point. Some folks pursue change just for the sake of change. I'm not talking about that. We're just not in control of what other people do, are we? You know, some people are seeking change just for the sake of change. We can't control what other people do. External forces in this text have contributed to a change. Of circumstances. By external, I mean the church did not produce it. They didn't go out and say, 
we are going to produce a rest for the church today. They didn't do that. They didn't plan. We're going to go find some way. We're going to implement some program and it's going to give us rest. It's going to give us peace from the persecution. The church didn't do that. Changes just come. And, and that's what happens. That is what has happened. A change has come. But it, the, the 30th verse of this same chapter, but when the brethren learned of it, that is when they learned of the plot to kill Saul, who will become the Apostle Paul, or has become the Apostle Paul, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. Change has just come. Change has come. And did come. And it does come, doesn't it? How fast things can change. It wasn't that long ago, Saul was persecuting the church, and in Acts 9.3 it says, suddenly the Lord appeared to him. Suddenly the change was like that. Change can be like that. It can happen that fast. But in the church, well, let me say this too. <laughs> I wrote this down. I didn't want to forget to say it. When Jesus comes again, we'll all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The change is going to come that fast. Lord, just come. The change is going to be that fast. We won't all sleep, but we'll all be changed. But for now, in the church, there should be some consistency of progress and of growth. And we know, again, that God causes the growth, but there are conditions more favorable to growth. You have both the seed and the soil and the things that are applied to the soil. And sometimes, or maybe too often, when there is ease or rest, there is no growth. The tendency is to rest on our laurels. That came to my mind. The tendency is when it, things are easy or we're at rest, we're going to rest on our laurels. I had to look up what does that really mean because I thought I knew and maybe you guys already know, but I looked up just to make sure. It means resting on past honors or past attainments. And the tendency in the Christian life is, is to kind of do that. Been here, done that, I'm set. When things are easy, that's our tendency we got to be careful there. we got to guard against that. I know I do. I'm sure you do as well. You know, um, when we're in a big spiritual battle, or we're ministering to someone, or ministering somewhere, or involved with witnessing to someone, you know, oftentimes those aren't, or, or maybe even persecutions coming our way, those might not be the most difficult places we find ourselves spiritually. Oftentimes it's when there's peace or rest or really nothing going on. We've got we to gotta guard our hearts. But here, here is this wonderful example. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord. They continued. They were continuing to grow in a time of peace. This is a marvelous, wonderful verse. Look at the extent of the peace that they enjoyed. It was widespread. It was in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it's from persecution. It's peace from persecution. The church already had peace with God. Now it's peace from persecution, a rest from persecution. They, they, it was, the persecution just subsided. And they must have had communication with each other. In order for Luke to record this, there must have been some communication talking about the fact, hey, we're just not being persecuted anymore. And, and they're not being persecuted there anymore. And they're not being persecuted anymore, there anymore. The church, the church must have known about each other's circumstances. 
It's an interesting thought. They are aware of how widespread this peace was. Now, what it says, the church, it's not talking about the physical buildings, and we know that. Not the brick and mortar, it's the people, the called out assembly. That called out assembly was enjoying a time of peace. And it was a break from very real persecution. In Acts 8.1, Stephen is martyred for his faith. Acts 8.1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, that is, putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout all the region, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. This great persecution has come. Based on Paul's own testimony about these things, others had been killed. It wasn't just Stephen that had been killed. And some probably still sat in prison at the time that this is happening in Acts 9.31. So the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace. There were probably some still in prison. It's a thought, isn't it? There was probably some still locked up for their faith. But we need to enjoy the peace we have. This was very real persecution. We need to enjoy the peace that we have. Just don't want to run down this road too far, but I want to put some things in perspective for us. There is certainly opposition in our nation, and it's growing opposition to the things of the Lord, and we recognize that. We can see that. We're not persecuted. We, we don't see Christians being here in the States. We don't see pe people being stoned for, for naming the name of Christ. We see some other things happening, and they're difficult. I'm not, I'm not saying they're not, but right here, right now, we're going to leave this building. We have no fear of that at all. At least I hope you don't. We need to enjoy the peace we have. Take advantage of the opportunities we have, these opportunities that we have of peace. I want you to notice too that the change, this change that came for the church, this change from persecution to peace, was not the result of a change in the church's preaching. They didn't say, we're going to change our preaching. Now, I touched on this just briefly. They didn't, they didn't plan it, and they didn't perform it, and they didn't do it. It came. The change came. But it didn't come because they changed their preaching. They didn't change their message because at the bottom of this verse, there's people still getting saved. It continued to increase. The gospel is still being preached. They didn't change their message. They didn't tailor their message and say, well, persecution is coming. Let's just soften this. Hey, you're a pretty good guy. Let me tell you about Jesus and, and maybe your life can be a little bit better. It wasn't like that. The gospel still came with force, with power. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. Jesus died to pay for your sins. The message didn't change. They didn't change their preaching. The change didn't come because the church changed its preaching. The change from persecution to peace didn't come because the church's had changed its focus to politics either. Politics were happening. They happened today. They were happening then. The church didn't change its focus to politics. This is a big point, and we really could run way too far with this, too, too fast. I shouldn't do that, but I need to touch on it. Politics were happening then, and they happen now. But you can see God's hand in some of those things. You know, this... this Persecution stops in part because, I'm just skipping my notes here for a minute, because Saul is off the scene. This man that was persecuting the church, now the persecution probably let up a little bit because he was off the scene, not persecuting the church, he became a believer, 
But then it ramped back up when he came into town and started preaching the gospel because people hated that. He was preaching the gospel. This guy that used to be on our side is preaching the gospel and he's so effective in speaking. We know Paul was. And they hated him for that. So the persecution ramps up. And now when Saul is removed, that tension is removed a little bit. But something else happens at this time too or thought to have, is thought to have happened at this very time is that Caligula comes to power in Rome and he wants to set up a statue of himself, I think in the temple. I think he accomplishes that. And so the Jews have an enemy, a bigger fish to fry than these Christians that they can't figure out anyway. So, so their whole focus changes for a minute. But you know, no leader comes into power unless God allows that to happen. Eh? So in back, of, in back of the story is God overruling in things. Same would be true today, right? There's chaos. There's things happening, but back of the story, there's God overruling in things. God is still on His throne. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us. He hasn't forsaken us. He's aware of us. We can see God's hand in some of these things that we see today. We can see someone else's hand as well, but God, God has the victory, right? The victory is won. The victory is sure. Okay, this change didn't come from the from a change in the church's policy either. They didn't get more culturally sensitive. I already mentioned that. They didn't develop a new program or a new position on evangelism. They didn't say, hey, all you guys that are going out and talking to your neighbors, you can't talk to them like Paul did because it causes persecution. We don't want you doing that no more. We don't want you going door to door. We don't want you witnessing to your neighbors. The change didn't come from persecution to peace because the church changed its position on evangelism. The change came in part because of, because of the church's preaching. Saul got saved. They, they, have, they, they, they have Saul go back to his hometown. They take him down to Caesarea and then they send him away to Tarsus. Not out of embarrassment or to silence him, but, but the church was protecting him. There was a threat on his life. They were protecting him. Our focus today is on the importance of consistent growth in the church. It is consistency and not complacency we see in this verse. And this growth is not dependent on external circumstances. They were, the church was growing when it was persecuted, and it's growing when there's a time of peace. The growth in the church did not depend on external circumstances. External circumstances come. Change happens. There might have been a temptation to back off the things of the Lord, to get slack about meeting together, about involvement in the church. But Luke gives us this progress report and says that wasn't the case. They're growing and they're healthy. Okay, I thought it would be valuable, and you guys can just walk with me and look at these verses, okay? Let's look at these progress reports. Start back in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. These are these snapshots of how the church is doing, okay? And, and the context they're set in. I think it's helpful to us. Acts 2.47. I'm going to read 46 as well. Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47. Uh, speaking of the church, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were 
taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's the first progress report of the church, and it's so exciting. It's like going on a missions trip and every other house you come to, you see someone come to faith in Christ and you think, man, I just can't believe this. People are coming to the Lord. That's so invigorating. That's so exciting. Or going to a prison and and speaking through an interpreter and seeing hundreds of people come to faith in one moment. It is so exciting. It's so powerful. Wow, God, you're alive. You're real. You're at work. It's wonderful, Lord. Can it be this way forever? It can't. It can't be that way forever. It isn't that way all the time. But this is the first progress report, and it's so exciting. And praise God it is. And praise God that God still works in this way. There are times of exciting, wonderful things that happen in the church. You need to be aware of that. You need to know that. It happens in different places around the world, in different churches, in our own country. There are revivals taking place, and people are getting saved, and and trusting the Lord. And heaven rejoices over just one who comes to repentance, right? Just one. The second progress report is in Acts 6, verse 7. Acts 6, verse 7. And this is and this is where the disciples, or the disciples, the apostles <laughs> decide we got too much going on. We can't take care of this ministry of feeding the widows. We need someone to take care of that. They tell the congregation, go and appoint seven men. And they give them the qualifications for these men, and it's a high qualification. It's a high bar they got to meet. And the, and the congregation picks these seven men. And what, what comes out of that? Because the, the, the apostles want to devote themselves to two things, to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That's what they want to be devoted to. Those two things. That's convicting. It's a convicting verse because, man, I want to build a boat, and I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I read that, and I think, man... I should be more committed to prayer and the ministry of the Word. But this is what the apostles want to be devoted to. And so the congregation picks these seven guys. And look what it says in Acts 6-7. The Word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. What a progress report. Because there was a devotion to the to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, the church was growing. What a wonderful progress report. There's some things we can learn there. There's some things we can take from there. Certainly for me, there are some things. And then in Acts 9.31, that's our next progress report. We're already, we've already looked at that. There's a time of peace, and the progress report is phenomenal. The church is growing. The text that we're looking at today tells us the church grew in times of peace as well, in per- as well as in times of persecution. The church did not compromise when things changed. That's the whole point of this message. The church didn't compromise when things changed. Things changed, they didn't compromise, they stayed consistent. There's a, there's a healthy... Uh, it's healthy to be consistent. Uh, chapter 12, verse 24, that's the next progress report we're given. And this one's really interesting because this is right on the right on the heels of the death of Herod. Herod, who loomed so large politically, who would have been this man like, oh, Lord, why is that guy in the position he's in? 
Why is he still there? Why is that guy there? And oh, there's this Herod. And what happens to Herod? This man that looms so large. He died when he did not give God the glory. But look what it says in 1224. He died when he didn't give God the glory. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. What a contrast. What, what a thing for us to just soak in. We got these emotions about the events of the day, and we got things that we think about that, and things we think maybe we ought to be doing, but there's nothing we can do. God's on his throne. This man's just gone, like all of us. Our life is like a vapor. Like any political figure, any political leader, doesn't matter what state, what city, what country. We're all like a vapor. We're going to be gone. God is still on His throne. God's Word is eternal. But the Word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. What a wonderful progress report. What a wonderful thing for us to soak in. Okay, the fifth one is in Acts 16.5. So the church had to come to some decisions and they came to some decisions to let the Gentiles know. Oh no, that's not the case. Sorry, my mind went somewhere else for a minute. The case here is um, Paul and Barnabas. They want to go and strengthen the churches. If you, if you look in 15.36... 1536, it says, After some days, Paul and Barnabas, they say, they say, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. They want to go and encourage the churches. They got a good and godly goal. They want to go and strengthen and encourage and see how the churches are doing. What a wonderful thing to have on their heart, right? This is what they want to do. And, and God allows that to happen. Of course, at this time, Paul and Barnabas have a dispute about someone and they go their separate ways, but the goal is still arrived at, Acts 16.5. The, the good and godly intentions of their heart are met, Acts 16.5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. What a wonderful progress report. The Lord's put something good and godly on your heart. You know what? He's for you in that. He's for us in that. He's not against us in that. If it's something that isn't good and godly, maybe not so much, but if God's put something good and godly on your heart, He's for you. He's not against you. Acts 19.20. The next one. There's some miracles going on in Ephesus here. And in Ephesus, there's also a bunch of people that are involved with sorcery and different things. And a revival breaks out. People are getting saved. And what are they doing with their things from their former life? They're burning them. They're getting rid of them. I don't want this in my life no more. I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. This is not who I am. I don't want any part of this. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful fact. What a wonderful historical event. Acts 19.20 So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Look at 19. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone and they continued 
and they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. In other words, they brought up a lot of expensive junk that they didn't want to be a part of their lives anymore, and they said, I don't want this. I don't care what it costs. I'm with the Lord now. This progress report tells us when people do that, when they, when they do that, when they get real with the Lord, when they get right with the Lord, the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. That's what happens. And then the last progress report is in, is in Acts 28, 30, and 31. You don't need to turn there, but this book of Acts closes with Paul in a rented room, and he's still proclaiming the gospel. The work is still continuing. It's still going on. And that brings us to today, and it brings us to the same question, how are we doing? If Luke was to write a progress report, is there growth happening regardless of outward circumstances? That's the question. That, that's the question to answer to see how are we doing. Is there spiritual growth happening in my life regardless of outward circumstances? Because things change all the time. What might Luke write? Or what would we write if we were to write a progress report concerning the church? And what would be our criteria to write that sentence or two? Would we write something like, well, the church would be growing, but, or it could be growing, but there's too much turmoil. There's too much turmoil. Just can't grow right now, Lord. I'm frustrated and I'm angry and oh, this political person and oh, that thing and this COVID virus, I'm afraid for my life and ought not to be the case. There should be a consistent growth regardless of outward circumstances. That brings us to the close of point number one. The next two points are a lot shorter. Thanks, Dave. Right? The second point, growth through a consistency in practice. Back to our verse. I know we spent some time out of there, but Acts 9.31. I want to talk about growth through a consistency in practice. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and in going on in the fear of the Lord in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. This is consistent practice. And they were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see them doing. So that must be what they're thinking about. It must be their perspective on things as they look out at the world that's before them and the persecution they just came out of and the peace they're enjoying. They're focused on some things here. They're being built up. That's what's happening. The church was doing its job. It was being strengthened, constructed, confirmed. They were edified. The word edified comes... It's like the word edifice. It talks about a big, large building, right? They were being built up to a big, large building. In 1 Corinthians 4, I meant to mention this at the beginning. We're going to turn there. And this is not as long as the first point. So, 1 Corinthians 4, teen, not 4, 14. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 through 4. It says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy, that's speaking the word of God. For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies, prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So speaking the word of God, edifying, building up the church. There's that word edifying. Edification is 
this word is something that aims, this is not original with me, but I liked it, I wrote it down, it aims at, the, at our minds. It aims at our intellect, edification does. It's taking the Word of God and it's aiming it at our minds. And uh, Scripture tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Edification does that. It helps us to renew our minds. We take all the stuff that's coming our way, we filter it through the Word of God, and we come out with some truth that we can hang on to, an anchor for our soul, some way of operating in the world we find ourselves in. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And edification is a building up of the mind. It engages our mind. In 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 4, it says, uh, the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. But back in verse 3, it says, the one who prophesies speaks to men, this is speaking the word of God, for edification and exhortation. Exhortation exhortation aims, again, this is original with me, but I like it, exhortation moves us to action. It aims at our will. It, it tells us what we are to do with the word that we're given, right? We, we had some of that this morning. Exhortation. Do all things to the honor of the Lord. That was, that was a word of exhortation. That's what we ought to be doing. It aims at our will. And then in, in, in verse 3 again, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, But the one who prophesies, that is one who speaks the word of God to men for edification and exhortation and consolation, this consolation is geared towards our heart, toward our feelings. Uh, it, it causes us to have good feelings about the truths that minister to our hearts. So the, the whole man is built up through the Word of God. The whole person, the whole church is built up through the Word of God. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up, being edified in the Word of God. And they were walking in the fear of the Lord. They were not living on past victories and they weren't living as victims. Woe is me. How convicting it is, or can be, to watch some of these videos that Soren provides for us where you see this young lady enduring... I mean, it was hard not to get emotional about that, right? Enduring things that we don't even have to think to endure. And uh, my protective spirit comes up in me fast. I would want to be there protecting her, but you can't be, right? So some of the emotions are, are some of that, but look at what some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are enduring. But she didn't see herself as a victim. And we are not living as victims. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. They were journeying through this life in this time of peace, walking in the fear of the Lord, in Philippians, uh, Paul writes to the Philippians, whatever happens, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's what the early church was doing. These are elements or essentials for, for spiritual growth, for Christian growth. This is the right pH balance. They had a proper respect for God and for the things of God. You know, there are, always, there are people and always have been folks who have no fear of God. Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And we were like them at one time ourselves. There are always people with no fear of God before their eyes. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it says in Proverbs 9.10. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There are people 
stating things and proclaiming things that make absolutely no sense. And how do we, how do we, what do we think about that? What's our, what's our intellectual and our emotional and our active response to those things? We're to understand where they're at. They're lost. Absolutely lost. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They need the gospel. They need a relationship with God through Christ. Their words reveal their own corruption. And they were and they were in they were they were enjoying the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Comfort. The word is paraclesi. Talking about the paraclete, which is what the Holy Spirit is, the one who is called alongside. Call called to one's aid. The Holy Spirit's coming alongside to comfort and encourage believers. You know, that happens directly, and it happens indirectly, right? It happens directly. Um Maybe you've been in prayer about something for a long time and you're wondering about this and you're wondering about that and then the Holy Spirit just comes and gives you a peace about things. You know, you don't know why you got peace. You just got tremendous peace. What's giving you that? It's not coming from you. It's coming from the Lord. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God or God's children. What a wonderful comfort. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They knew they were children of God. So ultimately, God is the victor. So whether it's persecution, whether it's peace, or anything in between, we're okay. So there's a consistency in the church. And Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. We don't know what to think about what's going on. But God's given us a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. If, if, if our reaction to what's going on is something other than that, I don't think that's from the Lord, too. A couple other verses I wanted to turn to, but we're not going to. God also ministers to us indirectly. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul is saying that I was comforted because you sent Titus to me. I received comfort from the Holy Spirit because you guys sent Titus to me. And not only did you send Titus to me, but Titus has come with this report because when Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, he tells them, man, guys, I love you guys. You're believers, but you got some problems. You're messed up and... One of the ways they're messed up, I'm not going to get into, but they correct it, they fix it, they straighten things out. And when Titus comes, he tells Paul that uh, the Corinthians long to see you. They love you and they fix the problem. And that comforts Paul's heart indirectly because the Holy Spirit was at work in these other believers' hearts. And that happens in this body as, as um, we minister to one another and you see that another brother and sister is growing in the Lord and it just gives us comfort. The Holy Spirit's doing that through the body of Christ. But that doesn't happen. And again, there's this importance to the church here. I don't want to begin with that. We can't recreate it. We can't reproduce it in something else and call it church. The church is by God's design what it is. It, 
I guess I got it down on my thing. I'll just read it. Second Corinthians 7, 6 and 7. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by His coming, but also by the comfort you had given Him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow. They got things right. Your ardent concern for me so that my joy was greater than ever. But God comforts the downcast. You know what Paul was saying? I was downcast in my soul. But God comforted me by the Holy Spirit indirectly through the coming of Titus. I could start naming things that do that to me, and I wouldn't name enough of them, but I'll just give one because I was just looking at Adriana a few weeks ago. She came in with some radishes and some veggies, and we took went home and had a salad. It was a comfort. It was just a blessing. Just things like that. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that, but there's things that are more complicated than that. More, There are all kinds of things. We comfort one another in so many ways. Again, I shouldn't have headed head down that road because all these other things are flooding in my mind. And if I start, I won't stop. This church is wonderful in this way and we can grow in it. We can grow in it. So what is the result of all this? They, they were getting it right. They were consistent. They didn't set things aside. They continued to build one another up, to go on in the fear of the Lord and be comforted in the Holy Spirit. So it continued to increase. The church continued to increase. The blessings of consistency the healthy culture inside the church provides the best opportunity to affect the culture outside the church, right? A healthy culture inside the church provides the best opportunity to affect the culture that is outside the church. And the outside culture, man, does it have us in turmoil. It does me. Maybe it does you as well. From time to time. So I'll just finish with this. How do you measure the health? of a church. How do you measure the health of a church? And I submit to you this, an answer, by its spiritual growth. If I went home today and saw Cindy's little garden planted in pots, (laughs) and they weren't growing, but they were wilted, it would tell me they're not healthy. If I go home and I see that those beans are two inches taller than they were before I left, it's going to tell me there's some vibrance there. There's some health there. How do you measure the health of a church? By its spiritual growth. Spiritual growth of its members. Spiritual growth of it corporately. we got to close here. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your people. Thank you for your church. Thank you for how you have put it together. You've designed it, Lord. Thank you for your word. What a wonderful word it is to us in a world that changes all the time, an anchor for our soul. Praise your name for it. In Jesus' name, amen.